This is GM Word of the Week, and I'm Fiddleback. Captain. We here at the Word of the Week, as we have mentioned before, are grumpy old men. We've been playing tabletop role-playing games for more decades than we care to say aloud right now. Thank you very much. And we've been playing the game of life far longer than even that. Because we don't like to be reminded of our age, we much prefer to hang out in the company of other grumpy old men rather than you young whippersnappers. A phrase, by the way, we love to use, and which was attested in 1604 in a printing of Christopher Marlowe's play The Tragic History of the Life and Death of Dr. Faustus. In that play, a character snidely refers to a hay pass, that's a street juggler, as a snipper-snapper. That term, combined with an older phrase for a street rogue, a snipper, with an old phrase for a young unambitious layabout, a whip-snapper, and gradually the phrase became whipper-snapper. It referred to young people who used to sit around doing nothing but idly snapping whips and playing in the street and complaining about the world. See, millennials? You're not very special. Every generation had a snide phrase coined to make fun of them by their elders. Now get off our lawns! Because we tend to hang out with other grumpy old people, our favorite social pastime is to wave our canes in the air and complain. And it was during a recent cane-shaking session that friend of the show, Twitter acquaintance, and fellow irate octogenarian O-Dog launched into a rant about how kids these days can't be bothered to get military ranks right. He was specifically complaining about the new incarnations of the Star Trek movies, the first of which being J.J. Abrams' 2009 reboot of the franchise, and the way they dispensed with the naval traditions that informed the rank structure of Starfleet without a care. In that film, the young upstart James T. Kirk is promoted to the rank of captain in order to take command of the starship Enterprise. Which, as O'Dog pointed out, is totally unnecessary. Because according to the naval traditions on which Star Trek is based, you do not need to be a captain to be the captain. At least not in the American Navy. That's because, while a captain is a specific military rank in the Navy, it is also the customary term for any naval officer who currently commands a naval ship. For example, many submarines and frigates may be commanded by someone holding the rank of commander. That commander is referred to as the captain of their ship when they are aboard and in command. And if the commander is asleep and the executive officer, who handles the ship's day-to-day -day logistics and supports the commanding officer and may have a lesser rank, like lieutenant commander, if the commander is asleep and the executive officer is in command, the XO is called the captain. And if a senior officer holding the rank of captain comes aboard the commander's frigate, he may be called Captain Smith, but he is never called the captain because the commander is the captain. And when the captain goes ashore, he's not commanding his ship, he's a commander again. We know, why can't people get that right? For another example, Consider what happened when superhero and Air Force pilot Hal Jordan, aka the Green Lantern, met Captain James Tiberius Kirk of the USS Enterprise in a 2015 crossover comic event called Star Trek and Green Lantern The Spectrum War. Captain Kirk tried to pull rank on Hal Jordan. Jordan responded by insisting he was a captain too. And it worked. Kirk was cowed. Doesn't that drive you crazy? It doesn't. You don't see it? Let us explain. 
Star Trek is steeped in naval tradition, as we mentioned. And in the U.S. Navy, captain is a pretty high rank. It's pretty much the second highest you can get. After that, you get into various flavors of admiral. And to go any higher than admiral, you have to win a presidential election. But the Air Force, of which Hal Jordan was an officer, follows the tradition of land forces like the U.S. Army. And in that tradition, captain is a pretty low rank. It's just one step up from being a lieutenant. So while the rank has the same name in both traditions, it's got a very different status in each. So what Hal Jordan did was roughly the equivalent of the president of the William Shatner fan club claiming to have the same rank as the president of the United States. Well, not quite, but close to. And while Kirk might not have known it, Hal Jordan sure as heck would have. What does all of this have to do with fantasy gaming? Well, a lot, actually. Because in games like Dungeons and Dragons, there's always Imperial armies and city watches and mercenary organizations, and game designers and authors and game masters just sort of pick ranks out of a hat. They aren't like the creators of the old Star Trek series who knew that anyone who was sitting in the chair, even if they were the ship's counselor, was called the captain. And who knew that Chief O'Brien never attended Starfleet Academy because that's the title of an enlistee, a non-commissioned officer. They aren't even like the comic book writers who know the difference between Air Force captains and Naval captains. They're all like J.J. Abrams. They need a title, they go with what sounds good, and they can't be bothered to do a five-minute search on the Googles or the Instagrams for the right answer. Because creators these days don't take any pride in their work. Not like back in our day. It's especially appropriate to discuss the military rank thing because we just got done observing the national holiday of Memorial Day here in the United States. And we know we have several actively serving and retired military folks among our listeners. So this gives us a good chance to show our thanks to them for honor, bravery, and sacrifice in defending our rights and freedoms by giving you young whippersnappers an education about military ranks in the Western world. Because if there's anyone who's even more concerned with tradition and getting things right than us grumpy old men. It's a uniformed serviceman. Now, Memorial Day is a tricky subject. Kind of like military ranks, now that we come to think about it. And frankly, they're both a lot like Dungeons and Dragons. All three are what might be the result of a bit of an anachronism stew. Which is ironic, because that's exactly the problem we're trying to solve. An anachronism stew is a slang term for anything, but usually a work of media. That's a hodgepodge of different influences from different time periods that are kind of hard to disentangle and whose origins no one is really sure of. For example, while the city of Waterloo, New York is generally officially remembered as the birthplace of Memorial Day, the story is actually a lot more complicated. It begins back in the late 1800s. The United States had just got done with the American Civil War. At the time, it was the bloodiest, deadliest conflict the United States had ever engaged in. And because of the massive numbers of American dead, the federal government, for the first time, had to establish the first of the nation's national cemeteries. These were military cemeteries. The U.S. Congress established the first 14 of them on July 17, 1862. Today, 
there are about 150, and most are administered by the Department of Veterans Affairs, though two are maintained by the Department of the Army, and 14 historical cemeteries, including many of those that were first established in 1862, are maintained by the National Park Service, who you might remember from our episode about rangers. Shortly after the establishment of these first cemeteries, it became the custom for the towns and cities around them to hold springtime tributes to fallen soldiers. They would decorate the graves with flowers, recite prayers, and hold various events. In 1866, Waterloo, New York was noted as holding one of the largest annual community-wide events. They even closed businesses in town during their springtime remembrances. Meanwhile, in 1868, American General John A. Logan, who headed an organization for Northern Civil War veterans, called for a National Day of Remembrance on the 30th of May. The day was called Decoration Day, and it was a day for citizens to decorate the graves of fallen soldiers, and many northern states adopted the holiday. It should be noted that the date was chosen specifically because no particular Civil War battle had fallen on that day. Thus, it was a day to remember the fallen soldiers throughout the entire conflict. Meanwhile, southern states observed their own memorial traditions on different days to remember fallen soldiers. And so, across the United States, every state in the Union eventually observed Decoration Day as a day to remember those soldiers who lost their lives fighting on both sides of the American Civil War. But there were many different dates for it across many different states. And then something even more tragic happened. World War I. With the massive losses of World War I, Decoration Day, now Memorial Day, transformed from a remembrance of Civil War soldiers to a remembrance of all American soldiers who had fallen in any conflict. And by that time, the entire United States was recognizing it on May 30th. But then, in 1968, Congress passed a law called the Uniform Monday Holiday Act. This act officially reorganized or reaffirmed recognition of several federal American holidays, including Washington's Birthday, Memorial Day, Labor Day, Veterans Day, and Columbus Day, and established that each would always fall on a particular Monday of the year. We should note that this act did not combine Lincoln and Washington's Birthday into President's Day, as is commonly believed but it did establish that Memorial Day would always be observed on the last Monday in May, thus ensuring it would always create a three-day weekend for federal employees. It was during the same time that Congress officially recognized Waterloo, New York, as the birthplace of Memorial Day. But we digress. Let's get back to the subject of military ranks. The reason that people get so confused about military ranks is that every country has its own rules and traditions. And those traditions go back a long way, far longer than you might realize in some cases. But for reasons that we'll get into, gamers really don't need to worry about them too much. Let's start by talking about the oldest military rank still in use today. That's the rank of sergeant. And we're not really even sure where it came from. The word does come from the Latin serventus, but it seems to be derived from an older word that goes back to the armies of Mesopotamia. It's pretty old, and it referred to someone who was basically the servant or personal assistant to the person in charge. But honestly, that was more a position than a rank, because frankly, 
ranking was more complicated than most ancient armies needed. Take the Athenian system from around 500 BCE. Basically, when the Athenians established their democracy, they recognized ten groups, or tribes, and they would draw their military from those ten tribes. Each year, they elected ten strategos, which means strategists, to lead the ten tribes. Today, we might call those folks generals. In addition, there were old war leaders in the ten tribes who were called polemarchos. We'd call them warlords, probably. And the strategos and the polemarchos would lead the army together. But mostly, it was the strategos. Now, they didn't divvy up the army between them. They actually voted on plans and strategies. And then the strategos would lead. And for many centuries, that was good enough. Armies were big, but they weren't that big. They weren't that complicated compared to today. And honestly, the army was mostly made up of ordinary citizens who served for a time and then went back to their lives. So the army tended to only get used when it was needed. Of course, as we discussed in our episode about the Roman Legion, the Romans loved their armies. And they loved their rules and structures and hierarchies. So they had big standing armies and complicated rules for the chain of command. They were the first to really use the word rank, which referred to a row of troops in formation. Or more generally, position within a military formation. And that tied into their complicated structure. So the soldiers were organized in centuries of between 60 and 160 soldiers, each led by a centurion. Two centuries together made a manipula, three manipula made a cohort, and ten cohorts were legion. And within each legion, the individual cohorts were placed in positions according to their status and prowess. So where you stood in your century, and where your cohort stood in the legion, said something about your status as a soldier. Thus, the idea of rank, physical position in the formation, became tied to status and ability, and eventually, to authority. Now, the modern U.S. military doesn't derive a lot of its rank structure from the ancient Romans, but there's a lot of parallels in the broader organized scheme. Consider, for example, and this is a very general rough description, the way the U.S. Army organizes its soldiers. Individual soldiers are organized in small teams. Three teams together make up a squad, usually under the direct leadership of a sergeant. Squads are numbered first, second, third, etc. Most squads end up with 13 people in them. In most army units, three or four squads together make up a platoon. Those are under the control of a platoon sergeant. Platoons can be numbered or named for a particular function. Put four platoons together and you get a company under the command of a captain. At that point, you've got about 200 soldiers. And captains might have a first sergeant assisting them. Companies usually have a letter, A company, for example. Two to six companies together, plus support staff, and you've got a battalion. That can also be called a squadron, depending on its role. It's usually commanded by a lieutenant colonel. Put four battalions together and you have a regiment or group. Those are under the command of a colonel, and they are also numbered. When you hear someone say 501st Infantry in the U.S. Army, that's the regiment they're talking about, and they usually include their battalion number, as in the 1501st Airborne Infantry Regiment. After that, 
We get into divisions and major generals, notwithstanding the sort of obsolete designation brigade led by a brigadier general, and then a corps, which consists of three divisions, and so on. That's because the U.S. Army is huge and complicated. It's an organizational nightmare, and if the Romans had gotten as big as the United States, they would certainly have gone this way. But let's take this back down to the idea of rank. Because as we said, all of those ranks are kind of a stew of different ranks from different cultures and periods in history. The problem is, most of this ranking mumbo-jumbo really came very late in the Middle Ages and well beyond. Military ranks in the medieval period were actually pretty simple. What you have to understand is that there weren't really standing armies back in those days. At least they were extremely rare. Because it was expensive to keep a soldier around when a war wasn't happening. Most soldiers were peasants. They were conscripted to serve under their feudal lord. And the lord pledged whatever army he could raise to serve as king. But even among the lords and the kings, there wasn't a complex hierarchy. That's why the lords were called peers, and the aristocracy is still referred to in some circles as the peerage. The king on the battlefield was, at best, first among equals. And each lord led his own troops. Heck, a lot of medieval military planning meetings were actually given over to negotiating each lord's role in the coming battle. The only real ranks or positions that existed then were the high constable and the field marshal. The high constable had command over the local constables, and those people just commanded the various garrisons and castles that made up the king's army, so the high constable was usually a knight. And the field marshal's job was to establish the army's camp and ensure the army was supplied, and he was usually just an employee. It wasn't really until the end of the Middle Ages, when warfare was becoming larger and more complicated, particularly during the Hundred Years' War, that rank structures became more formalized. The first major piece of this involved the king officially commissioning nobles to command the army. They became the first commissioned officers. That designation still exists in the modern American military, with commissioned officers generally being those who attended officer training schools or otherwise received a formal military education. Now, Generally, those commissions were awarded to the aristocracy and each commissioned officer commanded one group of soldiers which they were assigned or had raised themselves, called a company. And the officer who led the company on behalf of the king was called a captain. That name derives from the Latin capo, meaning head. The capitaneus was the head man. Simple as that. But there was a little problem. See, the aristocracy were an evolution of the feudal landed lords, which meant they had estates to take care of. They had properties to oversee. They were busy people. They couldn't always be leading the company. They had other stuff to attend to. So they needed someone to act in their place, someone to hold their position in their stead. The old word tenant means to hold a place. And to act in lieu of something means to act instead of that thing. Hence, the captain of the company appointed a lieutenant. And that's where we get the ranks of captain and lieutenant from. Now, when the captain was in command of the company, the lieutenant could be entrusted to lead a small group of soldiers on specialized duties. A little detachment from the company, if you will. 
And the French word for a small group detached from a large group actually derives from a French word for a ball. A peloton. And that's where we get the word platoon. This is fun. Let's do another. Back in this era, it was very important for everyone to know who their allies were and who their enemies were. Because everyone sort of looked the same. The idea of uniforms wasn't a thing yet. So the king would commission an officer to carry his banner in battle. His insignia. And from the word insignia, which is Latin for sign or symbol, we get the rank of ensign. And that was pretty much the beginning and end of military rank hierarchies in the late Middle Ages. You had a company of soldiers, captain in charge, a lieutenant who commanded in the captain's stead, and an ensign who carried the company's banner. And that all got jumbled up into the modern military. Along with a few more, like the ancient sergeant and the Renaissance-era colonel, whose name is derived from the word coronel, meaning crown. But they weren't kings. Instead, they were the heads of mercenary companies that had settled in Spain and fortresses and camps that imitated the military structures and whose leaders called themselves coronels. And in some nations, a conscripted peasant might be awarded with a small grant of land to call his own for distinguished service. That soldier would become a private landowner, or private for short. And there were a few honorifics. For example, a captain who led a majority of the king's soldiers might be called a major. And later, as ranks became more complicated, someone who led the general army would be called a general. Oh, and someone could become an officer, not by royal commission, but by the decree, the warrant of another officer. And that made them a warrant officer or a non-commissioned officer. But as a medieval fantasy gamer, you don't need to worry about any of that stuff. At least, you don't have to if you don't want to. Because you can just fall back on the soldiers, lords, and kings model and be done with it. Of course, most fantasy games are filled with complicated standing armies, despite how difficult it would be to support such an army in such a time period. But that's fine. You're welcome to make your own anachronism stew if you want to. But... If you're going to run a modern game or invoke modern military traditions, for goodness sake, get it right. Or else we're going to hit you with our canes. Now get out of here, you little scamp. It's time for us to watch our stories. This has been GM Word of the Week. It's written and researched by the angry GM and produced by me, Fiddleback. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gmwordoftheweek. You can find more at gmwordoftheweek.com and theangrygm.com. Thank you.